Well, so today we are continuing our study in the book of Philippians and uh, learning so many good things in the book of Philippians. And I think we have to go back and let's remember the theme, the theme of Philippians, the, the overall theme of Paul's teaching here is that he would teach the church in Philippi and also us that we are to live a life in order that we can have the joy of the Lord. You know, sometimes we think living a life is is cumbersome, and yet sometimes you think you come to church and the preacher just beats you up and all that nonsense. But you know what? It's not a beat up. What it is, it's teaching us how to have the joy in the Lord. The, the, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, joy is a powerful, powerful feeling. And really joy, the only joy that lasts can only come from God. Yeah, the world offers a sense of happiness. I get that. And, you know, we can have some happiness when the Lions win. And we can have some happiness when the Tigers win. And if I have a good golf game going, I can be happy about that. And, and those are all good things. But they don't last. They don't last very long. Because that next bad shot I take, I'm losing my happiness. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But joy is much deeper than our circumstances around us. Joy is something that just bubbles up from within inside. And in and, and the book of Nehemiah, he wrote that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There comes strength from joy. I love joy because it's, it's so different than happiness because it's the different, the main difference, but difference between happiness and joy is the duration. Happiness can be eventful, happiness can be amazing, but happiness can be fleeting. Joy, however, comes from within, and joy comes from being, you know where it comes from? Joy comes from being in a right relationship with Jesus. When you're in a right relationship with the Lord, there's joy in your heart because you know you're going to win. You know you've already won. Maybe going through a few setbacks here and there, but the ultimate victory is yours. And there's joy. You know, remember, Paul's condition in writing this letter is that he's not in a joyful place. Paul is in prison in Rome when he's writing these letters. The epistle letters is what this is one of. And he's in a prison. He's in a uh, house arrest. And he's been there for two or three years already. And um, and he's concerned for the church in Philippi. And he wants to make sure that they understand that their joy doesn't come from their surroundings. It doesn't come from their circumstances. So he's teaching them how we can experience joy. And here's the deal. Even if it takes effort. Sometimes we have to work for it. Sometimes we need to tell ourselves, like that song said, come on, my soul. What's this? How to say? Um, yeah. Come on, my soul. Right. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. There's a lion inside you, right? And sometimes we need to encourage ourselves. Come on, my soul. Let's go. Let's get joyful. Amen. Get up and praise the Lord. Jackie, sing it for us. Amen. That's awesome. Better you sing it than me. But no, but there's an old saying that says this. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. If you're going to do something, you might as well give it all you got. And, 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 I, and I, as soon as I say that, I have pangs of guilt coming towards me because I, I have a tendency not to do all these things. My wife is in this today, so she's looking at me saying, Mike, be careful here. <laughs> because sometimes I don't do, I do it, but I, sometimes I do it with a bad attitude. And in fact, that's what we're talking about today. How coincidental is that? 
that grumbling pre- prevents joy. Grumbling presents, prevents joy. And if I can do the right things in the wrong way, I, I lose it. You know, I, I mean, it's just, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So this is a, this is one for me, I guess. So our text today is Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service concerning your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, help us with this today, I pray. Give us the words that you would have us to speak. Speak into our hearts the things you would have us to hear. And I pray, God, that we would apply uh, your word and that we could exercise joy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we recognize where Paul is coming from, Last week, we talked about how we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? So Paul is telling us that we're to work out our salvation, and we spent all last week talking about what that means. And if you'd like to go back, it's online, you can go back and listen to it. But what he says here in the previous verses, in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, this is key, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, his plan in your life. So today's message is a continuation of last week's message by showing us what it looks like to work out one's salvation. Remember here, what Paul is saying, it's not when you work it out in front of people. Because it's relatively easy to be joyful in church. (laughs) It's relatively easy to be who you should be in front of people. But when you're all by yourself, it can get a little bit more difficult. So we're to do things that are right behind closed doors. Where nobody sees me, nobody, I'm not accountable to anybody there. But that's where the true disciple of Christ really shines. That's when you know if you're making good progress, as if you're taking, being able to, to control your issues, control your desires, control your passions when you're all alone. And that's pretty powerful. You see, God sees and measures us more by our heart attitude than our actions, Right? Yeah, God sees the heart before he sees the actions. Why is that? Because he's looking at our motives, right? But men can't. So men, people know us by how we speak and how we act. They they don't have a window into our heart like God does. And thank goodness, I guess, for that. But recognize just because people don't see your heart, that doesn't give you a reason to have a bad heart. Because God sees your heart. (laughs) So you're not hiding anything from God. But yet, people are not dumb either. They may be unsaved, uh, but they're not dumb. And they can read between the lines, and they can pretty much know your heart by evaluating your actions and your words and how they relate. Because remember, actions speak louder than words. Right? Actions 
speak louder than words. I can say all the right things and totally discount my godly testimony by the way I act. Right? You know what I'm talking about? I can say the words. I can speak the words. I can profess the right words. But my actions can totally discount my words. So actions speak louder than words. Let's read our text again from the beginning. Do everything without grumbling, it says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So to summarize this, we can say it this way. If we are going to be blameless and pure, then we must do everything without grumbling and arguing. If we're going to be blameless and pure, then we must do everything without grumbling and arguing. You see, when I grumble and argue, it indicates that I have a problem. I have an attitude problem. If I'm grumbling and argumentative with people, the problem's within me, not within them. It's obvious then that I have a problem. And until I get this attitude taken care of, I'll never be pure. And I'll never be blameless. So let's recognize what the issues are here. Let's not just look at the symptoms. Let's go to the heart of the matter. I have a problem. So now we've got to figure this out. How are we going to figure this out? Well, let's talk about some definitions. Definitions are always interesting. What does grumbling mean? What does grumbling mean? It means that we are expressing disconnect, discontent by muttering, complaining, griping, protesting, whining. You know what that means? You ever been a whiner? What is the opposite of grumbling? It means that we're abiding, we're patient, we're enduring, we're accepting, we're tolerant, we're willing. It's a big difference between grumbling and not grumbling. What does arguing mean? Arguing means that we're disputing, we're quarreling, we're quibbling. We're fighting. What's the opposite of arguing? We're going to agree. We're going to accept. We're going to concur. concur. We're getting along with people. We're getting along with whatever is the issue that we're dealing with. So now let's continue on here. What does blameless mean? What does it mean to be blameless? To blameless means to be free of guilt. To be free of fault. To be innocent. Not be accountable for the problems that have happened because it's not my fault. I'm not, I'm blameless. I'm at, I'm, have no fault here. What's the opposite of blameless? I'm guilty. I'm blameable. I'm reproachable. I'm shamed. I'm to be held accountable. It's to be opposite of blameless. We're getting to the end. What's the meaning of pure? To be pure means that I'm unmixed with any other matter. Unmixed. Spotless. Free from contamination. And what is the opposite of pure? To be impure. To be flawed. Imperfect. To be counterfeit. To be contaminated. Lots of definitions. I understand that. But it's important that we understand what the words mean as a better way that we can understand our feelings when we do the things that we do 
and then how it impacts life. How it impacts our life and the life of those around us. So let's go back to our text again. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be pure, blameless, become blameless and pure. Okay, so let's work backwards what it means here. If a person wants to be blameless or free from guilt or no fault or innocent, and if they want to be pure, meaning spotless, uncontaminated, unmixed, then they need to do whatever they do without grumbling or muttering or complaining or griping or arguing, which means disputing or fighting or quarreling about it. That's a big order, isn't it? But if that person can live their life that way, what will they become? They will be children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation who lives that way. Our generation is a grumbling, griping generation that's all about them, all about the problems in life, and they want to blame everybody else, right? So if we want to be children of God without fault in that kind of a generation, then we will shine among them like stars in the sky if we hold firmly to the word of life. Boy, there's a lot of power here today, guys. This is an amazing word. Because when I can live like that, and you can live like that, you and I stand out and we become like shining stars in a dark and twisted night sky. You know, you go out in a dark night and you see the stars. Man, they can be so bright, can't they? And then you see the North Star. You see the, you know, the big ones that are really shining that night. It's just amazing. That's just God's creation. And you know, the more I dwelt on this over, the, over this week, as I, as I was thinking about this, I really realized something so significant here. That we can do the right things in the wrong way and totally miss the point of what God wants for our life. I can do the right things in the wrong way and miss it. And when I do that, it's not just hurting me but it's hurting the work of the kingdom because I can really thwart God's movement because God's trying to get something done in life and when I go out and say all these great things and then even do the right things but do it with the wrong heart, the wrong attitude and people see it, how much does that hurt them and maybe even push them away from the kingdom of God? So do you know how important our testimony is? Do you know how important it is for us to be authentic? How many professing Christians do we know that have actually hurt the cause of Christ by living hypocritical lifestyles, inauthentic lives, and it turns out that they turn people so far away from who God is that they'll never give God another chance because of something I've done. You know what that's called? A stumbling block. And you know how God thinks of stumbling blocks? He said it would be better if they were never born or tie a millstone around their neck and throw them to the bottom of the ocean. Because stumbling blocks that hurt young Christians, young children, young Christians, God detests. Because we know better and we act poorly. That's a little heavy. I get it. But I think it's important that we recognize how important this is. 
I think we all know how it feels to be appreciated by people and also how it feels to be patronized by people. You know, when somebody comes to me and does something nice and I can sense that they're doing it out of a real sense of appreciation and concern for me, it really makes me feel good. It really meets something in my soul. I've really needed that. And not only does it make me feel good, but it blesses them. So we both win when we do something for each other out of appreciation and out of sheer gratitude. And this builds a relationship between me and that person. And it can really strengthen our friendship. It can really strengthen the bond of friendship between us. And on the flip side of that, when a person does something to me or for me with a sense of obligation, and it's exhibited by a grumbling attitude or an expectation of, you better appreciate this. (laughs) It doesn't do much for the relationship. To be patronized like that is very damaging. And it can be very obvious and it can be very awkward and neither party feels good about it. You know, and again, I don't want to emphasize this, but I got to say, this is why I really appreciate what happens in these Carrick's weekends because there's a lot of volunteers that come in for these weekends that don't have to be there. But they come in and they spend Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Saturday, and they're still now there until 3 o'clock this afternoon. And they're there because they want to be, and it really blesses those that are there that need to be blessed by people that care about them. For those who have been a part of it, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when you go into those prison weekends, and I'm going to go into one here in a couple weeks to the ladies here on Correctional Facility down in South Van Arbor, and uh, that will be 60 inmates, 60 lady inmates coming into that. And you know, you can go in either to patronize them or you can go in to bless them and they read you like a book. Street smart people, they know. You really can't put much over a person that lives on the street because they know. They're not gullible too much. They've been burned, they've been hurt, they understand and they can read through you, they look in your eyes and they kind of know why you're there. So you better have a pure heart. You better go there with the right reason. But I'll tell you what, when you do, it's an amazing experience how you both glean the benefit of godliness out of that. So as much as appreciation builds a relationship, doing something with a grumbling or a complaining attitude destroys a relationship because it pushes people away. They're going to see it. So let's dig a little bit deeper here on grumbling and complaining before we move on, because the Bible deals with grumblers in a very serious way. Grumblers and complainers are not friends of God. Let me give you an example. The Israelites, who were God's chosen people, were constant grumblers, <laughs> constant complainers. And if you read the Old Testament, you can read their plight, and it wasn't good. Even after they were delivered from Egypt, they were in slavery for over 400 years. And they were at the low of lows in their life as a nation. 
And then God sends Moses, and we know the story of how Moses goes in and the plagues and such, and he uh, delivers them and leads them out of Egypt. And now we find ourselves in the in the in the in the wandering in the uh, in the wilderness. And quite honestly, if 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 the Israelites would have done right, they would have made that trip to Canaan in probably a few days. But because they grumbled and because they complained and because they were had unbelief in their heart, because when the spies went in to spy out the land and ten of the spies went in and eight of them came back with a bad report and two of them said, no, let's go. And the people chose to go with the eight complainers and grumblers and God said, fine, if that's the case, that whole generations will die off. That's why they wandered for 40 years in a genera- in that desert. But for that generation of unbelievers, that generation of grumblers, they died off in the wilderness. And they didn't enter the kingdom. They didn't enter in Canaan. Only the younger generation entered. It's a pretty big, it's a pretty big consequence, isn't it, for grumbling, complaining? Exodus chapter 16. Verses 1 through 3, on the 15th, listen, on the 15th day of the second month, not even three months, after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Not even three months. And they were already lost their faith in God. And, and recognize what they, up in those three months, what did they see? They saw a, a miraculous deliverance from Egypt where the Egyptians came out and gave them gold and all their, their, their great riches and wealth just to get them out. Because they were such a plight to Egypt after those plagues. So they saw an amazing deliverance. And then, then they're trapped at the Red Sea. And they got the Egyptian armies coming after them with Pharaoh. And they're going to be now slaughtered at the Red Sea because they're trapped. And God says to Moses, lift up your rod. And he lifts up his rod. And the water splits. I mean, the sea splits. A great wind comes up and splits the sea. And they walk across this seabed on dry ground. Is that a miracle or what? How many times have you gone down to Lake Charlevoix and seen it split for you? <laughs> Not. It doesn't work that way. And then and they, and they witnessed how God destroyed Pharaoh's army. I mean, amazing things. And, and just a matter of months, days after that, they're grumbling and saying things that, like, God doesn't take care of us. You've led us out here to starve. <laughs> and here's the thing that's really amazing. Do you think, because they said... There in Egypt, we sat around pots, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted like we had just a great um, potluck. <laughs> all the time, we just had a great potluck. We sat around and ate all we could eat. Do you really think that happened? They were slaves. <laughs> they didn't have potlucks. But here's what grumbling does. One of the signs that tell, one of the, the telltale signs for you to know if you're grumbling is if you're not being truthful about what the past was. You embellish it. You go back and you make it worse than it was or better than it was. You're not honest about it. 
They weren't truthful about the things they were grumbling about. And it seems that we just, we have to, and we justify the injustices in life. And I, I'll go back to that message you wrote about a couple weeks ago, Pastor, about the injustices of life. The, how important it is that we let God handle the injustice. Because we justify them and we make them whatever we need to make them to make our cause better. And we just screw things up big time when we do that. And here's the reality. Most of the time, the things that I grumble about or the things that I fear in the future, we exaggerate them to be much more than they really are. What I fear in the future, most of the time, never happens the way I fear it. Think about that. What you, re- what, what you worry about at night... What gets you up and wakes you up at night and you worry about it and you hold on to that and you contemplate that and you struggle over that and you worry about it and you're afraid of it. The reality is when it happens, most of the time it's never as bad as what you worried it to be. And how much have you wasted? How much stress have you brought onto your life because you worry about things that don't need to be worried about? And I'm not saying you shouldn't be a planner of some type, but I'm saying don't be a worrier. Trust God in these things. Let him, let, just want you to know how much he loves you and how much he's concerned about that. So take note of this in your life. If um, Maybe it'll help you realize if you're grumbling about things you shouldn't be grumbling about. Are you truthful? See, even though it appears that the Israelites were grumbling against Moses and Aaron, what, what, who are they really grumbling against? They were grumbling against God. And it's dangerous when you start grumbling against God. <laughs> I mean, do you know who he is? My Bible commentary says this. It says the Israelites complained against Moses for the third time. In reality, they were once again grumbling against God. Despite all that God had done for them, they were quick to forget his miracles. New Testament believers are warned not to follow Israel's pattern. When serious problems arise, we must not blame God. Rather, we are to choose to trust him to solve our problems in his time and in his way. Think about that last sentence. We have a plan. And we want God to work it out according to our plan. And he says, well... That's a nice idea, Mike, but I've got a different plan, and I've got different timing, and you know what? Mine's better. <laughs> so if you trust me and hang with me, I'll work it out for you better than what you could ever imagine. So why grumble against that? Why complain against that? So going back to our text today, that's why Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do everything without grumbling and complaining. Do everything without grumbling and complaining. You see, if we're going to be effective in our building the kingdom of God, then our acts of kindness and showing love for people and for Jesus will only be seen as such if we do them without a form of grumbling and complaining. 
So let me ask the question, what does it mean to become blameless and pure? Now, we've read the definitions already, but what does it mean to become blameless and pure? Well, I see there's two aspects. There's two aspects of what it means to be blameless. Number one, there's blameless with people, and then there's blameless with God. So let's talk about what does it mean to be blameless with people. To be blameless is how do we interact? What's our interaction with the people around us? And I think it's pretty obvious. To be blameless, we need to blame less. To be blameless, we need to blame less. You see, the more I blame others for something that isn't their fault, or even worse yet, it's my fault, something I've caused, but yet I'm going to deflect it on them, which we do that, right? We don't want to take responsibility, so we blame somebody else. The more that happens, the more to blame I really am. And the more baggage I'm carrying. How many times have you heard people blame their parents? Blame their upbringing? You know, blame whatever. And I'm not saying that they weren't hurt, possibly. But yet, if we take that as our identity... Here's something that's really important that we need to recognize. Sometimes we hold on to our past. The past hurts. And we allow them to become our identity and stay our identity because we're more comfortable dealing with the pain than we are with what it means to break out of that pain because we don't know what that looks like. So we're comfortable in living the way we were because we've, we can control that somehow. We can manage that. But God has a new identity. He wants us to to get out of that blaming identity. Because the worst part about this form of blaming is that others can see it for what it is. I may not see it, but others do. And people in the church and the world are very aware of a person that's a complainer, a grumbler, or a blamer. And that's a blemish on your character. That's a blemish on godly character for a person to blame others for things that they should take accountability for themselves. The only way you're ever going to get fixed is is if you realize you have a problem and you need help. And if you continue to deflect your problems on other people, you'll never get freedom. You'll never break out of that bondage of being a blamer and pushing it on somebody else because you're always blaming somebody else and you'll never, you'll never acknowledge the fact that, wow, maybe there is some things I need to change. Maybe there's some things I need to deal with. If we're going to be different from this crooked and broken world that we live in, then we have to stop acting like it because that's the way the world acts. That's the way they deal with their problems. And it really is a breath of fresh air, so to speak, to be with someone that is authentic and that can admit their failures. And they can take responsibility for their own misgivings. And they can say they're sorry. Guys, listen, no one is perfect. We all make mistakes. So why don't we acknowledge them? We all make mistakes. We all screw up. 
The Bible says that if a man says he has no sin, ultimately what he does, he makes God out to be a liar. Because we all make mistakes. So to be big enough to own our own failures, what that does, it helps us learn from our mistakes. So that we really can be better versions of ourselves. If you want to be a better person, then admit your mistakes. If you want to be better than what you were yesterday, tomorrow, then recognize that you did some things the day before yesterday that weren't so good, and you're responsible for it. And you're going to take care of it. And you're going to own it, rather than blame it on somebody else, because it might give you a better look. The world knows that. The world sees that. So we can become better versions of ourselves the more we take ownership of our own faults. Make sense? Second thing, being blameless in our relationship with God. Here's the reality of it. People in the world, listen, people in the world are incapable of being blameless before God. But true disciples are blameless before God. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Because it's not because the true disciple or the true believer is any better than the unbeliever. No, it's just that both believers and unbelievers started out in life being sinful people. You know, when you go into a prison ministry, it's it's amazing. You talk to some of those inmates, and you, some of them will tell you what they've done. Some of them don't. You're not asked. But if they, if they want to talk about it, you listen. That's clergy, at least. But, you know, when I realize some things that they've done, I hate to say it, but I've done the same things. I just didn't get caught. Now, I have not done all those bad things, to tell you. <laughs> There's some really bad things that I didn't do. <laughs> but that's the, common, that's the common theme amongst the guys there that, that are there, that are the volunteers working in prison, and that they've been as bad or worse than the inmates. They just didn't get caught. So it's not like we're better than them. No, we're just fortunate enough, maybe, that we didn't get caught. And, and I will tell you this, too, that some of the inmates that are there are more free than the volunteers that are working. Because the inmates that are free finally have been faced with their, fa- with their faults. And when you come to the realization that you are what you are and you learn to deal with it, that's where the place of freedom can begin. Because you can ask for forgiveness and you can ask for restoration and you can be redeemed. And it's like we said at the beginning, it's not how you start, it's how you end. It's so important that we recognize that redemption comes and no person deserves it more than the other person. God is no respecter of persons. So it's not because believers are better. It's because the sin in people is what prevents a person from being blameless. And the difference is believers deal with their sin issue by coming to Jesus and, ma- and asking him to forgive them and cleansing them from their sin, and that is what makes them blameless. Jesus is the one that makes them blameless. It's not about the person. It's only because that they recognized their sin and they were willing to own it, and they came to Christ and they said, will you please forgive me? Stop justifying it. Stop saying, oh, that's just my Irish temper. That's just who I am. No, that's sin in your life and you need to deal with it. 
take it to Christ and he'll forgive you and he'll redeem you. And now he'll all of a sudden you become blameless. And that's freedom where Christ takes the blame that we deserved and he makes us blameless in the father's eyes. Amen. That's powerful. So that when God looks down on you, he doesn't see your old identity. He sees you with the blood of Jesus all over you. And he says, there you are. You're my blameless son. You're my blameless daughter. You're faultless because of Jesus. Isn't there a song called Faultless or something like that? I think so. But they're so that's so good. And, and the problem there is that many people don't want to accept that. Many people want to live with their old identity. Many people don't live in this blameless state of blessing because they continue to see their past sins as bigger than God's forgiveness. Think of that. They see their past sins as bigger than God's forgiveness and they walk out of that blameless state because they say, no, I'm a sinner. No, you're not a sinner. You're redeemed. You are a redeemed creation. Second, Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. You're not who you were. You're not who you were. You are a redeemed creation and you are a new person in Christ Jesus. You were one time an enemy of the cross and now you are a child of the Most High. Amen. What this says is that Jesus took our blame, our shame and our guilt and he replaced it with his righteousness and that makes us plain, and that makes us blameless before God. And that makes us children without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then we will shine among them like stars in the sky as we firmly hold to the word of truth. Now Paul continues this and he finishes this line of thinking because now he's going to talk about something that truly gives us joy. Even though this doesn't sound like it gives us joy, but this is where our joy comes from. Because he finishes this section by describing what it means to be poured out like a drink offering. And this is something that can be easily missed because we don't understand what a drink offering is. But this is where joy comes from. Because when a person is completely open and obedient to what the Lord is asking of them, even to the, being to the, even to the point of being poured out as a drink offering like Paul's talking about, that's where joy comes from. So let's explain this. Paul says in Philippians 2, 17 and 18, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now we don't understand drink offerings because we don't understand Old Testament sacrifices. But what they did in the Old Testament is they would give sacrifices throughout the year and some would be burned sacrifices, animals and such. Some would be grain offerings and such. But this drink offering was part of this Old Testament process where they would pour out a certain amount of wine or oil on the drink offering, or on the offering as it was being offered to God, either burned or just as a grain offering. But the drink offering, what was it saying? The drink offering was a way of saying, God, I give you more than just my provisions. I give you everything about me. I pour it out, and I don't expect to get it back. Because when I pour out water on the ground, there's no way I can get that water back in a bottle. Right? I pour that wine on the burnt offering. There's no way I can get that wine back in the bottle. It's, 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 it's expended. It's gone. And that's what Paul's talking about it. And this is leading up 
to what it meant for Jesus to give his blood as an offering for us. Because when Jesus' side was pierced and blood and and water poured out of him, it, it poured out onto the ground and it was never able to be replaced. It was the completion of Jesus' death. It was the completion of his sacrifice. John 19.34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And therefore, it was the signification. They didn't have to break any bones, but Jesus gave his everything. He gave everything. And the significance of the drink drink offering is that as it is being poured out as a sacrifice, not ever being retrievable, but it it would reproduce something greater than its offering. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what he accomplished. Because his blood poured on the ground, and that brings forth new life for us. When he gave himself as a pure offering, and it was poured out for him, then joy not only was given to Paul as he was poured out on the sacrifice that he was given for the Philippians, but even more so for Jesus. Jackie, would you come, please? And this is what the writer of Hebrews can write. This is why he can write this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 3. It says, Therefore, since since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked off for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Here it is. Here it is. For the joy, listen, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and now he's sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What that means is not growing weary and lose heart means that you will not give up and lose your joy. Because Jesus endured it all. The joy set before him was not his death. The joy set before him was you and me. Because he knew that we'd be sitting in this room today. Able to experience his joy because he was poured out like a drink offering. Do you see how deep joy is? And do you see how being a grumbler can destroy it? That's why our text again, Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Think about that for a minute. Just think about that. How does that resonate with you? This was big for me this week. That I can be honest enough with myself. That I can stop complaining about life. I can stop grumbling about what God's asking me to do. I can stop worrying about the things I can't control anyways. And I can start living in the joy of the Lord because that's where my strength comes from. Do everything. Not some things. Everything. Doesn't mean I'm going to like it. 
It doesn't mean I'm going to like doing some things that I'm being asked to do. And Chris, I really wish you weren't here today. But I have to do those things without grumbling. And I have to do those things without arguing. And vice versa, by the way. That goes both ways. You know, one of the things that came up more and more in my some of the consolations I had, some of the discussions I had with some of these women this week, I was talking about marriage. And you know, the Bible says some things that are hard for women to understand. And one of them is that they are to honor their husband, submit to their husband. But if you really understand what's next in that verse, the Bible says that the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? What did he do? He died for. What would you rather do? Submit to your husband or die? (laughs) So seriously, when we understand here what this means, that if I can live to die the way Christ lived to die, that means I give up my passions. I I give up my desires give up the things that please me and when I do that if I was to do that really for my wife it would be a pleasure for her to submit to me it would be a pleasure for her to say I can't wait to submit to you because you're dying for me all the time the problem is is we get it mixed up that's a big order I get that But Paul says, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. You want joy in your life? You want joy? Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. And do everything with the right heart before God, with the right intent, with the right motive. And when we do that way, we can serve people with an attitude of love. We can be pure in our motives. And we can bring glory to God. And when we act and live that way, we'll have a greater measure of joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I am so convicted, yet challenged, yet encouraged by this word today. That if I can truly grasp what it means to do everything without complaining, without grumbling, without arguing, if I can have that heart of Jesus, God, what joy it brings me, not just to me, but to everybody that's around me. What a difference. What a difference that makes. And how we would stand out in this world of pain, of hurt, because they would see a person truly of joy doesn't mean that person's life is any better than their life. That person's still going through the aches and pains of old age and such. But God, they're not focusing on that because they have a heart of joy that comes through a good attitude. The one thing I can control is my attitude and so many things of life. So God, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that as we walk out of this day today, that we would walk out with a new attitude, a new identity, not one of a grumbler, but one of a joyful person, one of a willing person, a contented person, 
a person knowing that we have a future in Christ that's so much better than our past or anything better than we could imagine in our future if we did it our way. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing the song and let's worship one more time with Jackie and Tom. that's our prayer today. God, every breath I take, every every thought I think, God, every effort I do, every action I do, God, let it be about you today. And Lord, I just pray that you guard my heart and mind. Give me the strength to live, God, the way you would have me. And God, if I've been a grumbler, forgive me. Say that with me. If I've been a grumbler, forgive me. Forgive me, Father, for the times that I've grumbled against people. Forgive me for the times that I've grumbled about my circumstances. Forgive me, Father, and bring me newness in my life today. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me, Father. That's the cry of David. And I pray this would be our cry as well. As we go to our homes this week, we walk into this enemy territory. God, you'd give us the strength to be overcomers, to be victors today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great day.